Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. As usual, a busy Monday uh, coming up. First, a housekeeping item. Um, for those of you on IFAST University, we have a call today at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're not on IFAST-U, please go to ifastuniversity.com, get yourself signed up and join us at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for that uh, conference call. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This is with, well, it was Ian, and then he had a special guest, um, my adopted son, Zach, was on the call. Um, of course, he was incognito. He had on his, uh, his uh, Clark Kent disguise, uh, glasses and a hat, um, so nobody could recognize him. Um, but that's who that was. Uh, the discussion revolved around split squats, but the thing that I want you to take away from this call is the influence of structure. So we, we got into this a little bit as far as from a structural standpoint, what are the compensatory strategies that we're typically going to see under the circumstances of the execution of a split squat? It also lends itself to the fact that not every exercise is for everyone at every time. Um, we can't generalize these rules that everybody should be able to do all of these different things because structure matters and it's going to lend itself to being good at certain things and not so good at other things. And so again, a very, very important aspect of this call. So uh, thank you, Zach. Thank you, Ian, for uh, taking care of my boy. And uh, everybody have an outstanding Monday. And I'll see you, uh, if you're on IFAST, I'll see you today at 1 p.m. And if not, then I'll see you tomorrow. Let's go, Ian. I'm sorry, there's only one person allowed on a call. Um, you guys are gonna have to split up and get on different screens. All right, then. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, uh, Ian, who's the dork in the hat? I don't know. <laughs> he 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 says he knows you. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't he... know him if I wouldn't know him if I fell over him. Sorry. And he has a question actually. I had to actually come to Europe so I could get up at a reasonable time to get on these. Oh, calls. to get on a call. It's too early for you? Lightweight? <laughs> yeah. What? It's, what, what, it's, like, it's like 3 a.m. in Vegas, right? I know. Well, <laughs> come on. Why, I've been up. You know, it's like, come on. Yeah. I'm more of a late worker, but anyways. Uh -huh. um, well, a longtime listener, first time caller. I, uh, I had a question for you on uh, split squat. Mm -hmm. more specifically programming. Um, so I will say with most of my patients, clients, I have avoided starting or using like a, either an early or negative shin angle going into a mid. So if, if an early representation to a mid on the front leg is uh -huh. what you'd be thinking. Yeah. I mean, the reason why would be because of, of like that, Javelin tour we just had seen, I felt like a lot of people were end up just pushing forward through the pelvis. Uh-huh. But I had one person recently who I did use that for success. I want to know when you say for success, define. Like like I was able to get some appreciable changes on the table. And like what, what changes though? It's like that's what I need to know. Internal. He he had just he internal. Narrow. He was a narrow who had. I mean, it was likely orientation, but had significant amounts of ER, limited IR. Total arc was close to 100, I would say. Um, and everything else was problematic anytime I was trying to do things that weren't in that range. Mm -hmm. I want to know 
what your thought process is when you would program that type of early to mid split squat for someone. So you're talking about translating the tibia fully over the foot? You're not even just all the way fully. Like I would start someone. Not as poorly as I'm about to do it, but if you had someone starting from here, uh -huh. going to there. Yeah. Versus what I have seen some people do is like, you know, when they come up and they do that sort of thing on the split squat. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around but a little bit. It's like, when are you going from here at a, to there on a split squat from a programming standpoint? Okay, so so if you think about the, the, the translation of the tibia, yes. you, you have to have access to full middle propulsion, otherwise you don't you can't translate the tibia in that direction, right? You have to have access to middle propulsion, you said. You have to. You have okay. to. Yes. So the, the, the only way that you can translate a tibia forward over the foot under that circumstance without access to middle P is orientation, mm -hmm. which is what I don't want to do. Sure. And so if you got a whole bunch of IR R back, but but you drop off ER in the process, then you didn't access relative motions. Mm -hmm. All you got was spine movement. That's just spine movement. So then what are you doing to avoid the scenario where someone gets the, the negative shin angle, but pelvis is translating forward? So you're talking about like a tibia that's behind the foot? Correct. That would be that would be the start pro the start I'm I'm thinking of. Yes. Well, in a split squat, that would be a standard operating procedure because you're in an you're in an ER representation. So it's early. So the tibia yes. would be behind the foot. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So now I'm not understanding your question because that would be the 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 that would be the typical representation for an early representation of, of propulsion. So well, there's that. Bending in that position? I have seen people do that. Well, of course they do because they they, they don't have any internal rotation. And so so they keep orienting the pelvis away from the lead foot. That's that's what that is. Correct. Yeah. And then they so they end up what so so what happens if you don't if you don't have access to, to middle propulsion, that means that you that you don't have a you don't have the pelvis shape, you don't have internal rotation available to you. So if you're going to descend towards the ground, you'll have to do it in an ER representation. Got it. There's no other alternative, right? Unless mm -hmm. unless you orient, which again, it's like you're gonna see you're gonna see the uh, orientation of the pelvis with a spinal compensatory strategy, or they're gonna hold the ER representation, which is just turning the pelvis away from the lead foot as they descend, which is why you're gonna see all the compensatory strategy on the rear leg under those circumstances. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's when you'll see like the knee. The knees look like they drift. It's not the it's knee. Not the See, yeah. it's not the knee. It's the pelvis yeah. just staying in an ER orientation. There's no change. There's no shape change. That's all. Got it. Is that I, it? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's just, it was something where I've, because what I've had a lot of people, and I think maybe I was just using the split squat to mitigate some of the axial orientation, but I would coach it with more of a, a hinged starting point to recapture some of the... It's not a hinge, dude. It's not a hinge. Can't. 
they don't have if they don't have access to if they don't have access to IR, you do not have the you don't have the sacral orientation, you don't have the pelvis orientation, you don't have the muscle orientation. It's like the, what you're seeing is an orientation. The most overprescribed and misprescribed <clears throat> exercise on the planet may be a split squat. Because, I, would, I would agree with that. Because somewhere along the line, somebody said that everybody should squat, everybody should hinge, everybody should lunge, and I don't know what the rest of them are. But, but not everybody, structurally, that's not possible. Because the, 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 the spaces that, that you need to access to perform that activity are very specific. And if you don't have them, you can't do that exercise without a compensatory strategy. What has been identified as relative motions visually is not relative motion. But you can always tell by the outcomes. So that's the thing. It's like, it's like you, if you pick up one or the other, if you pick up a bunch of ER, you pick up a bunch of IR, and you don't get relative motion at the same time. So, so that's what relative motion is, is the ability to internally and externally rotate segments against one another, right? But if you don't have that, you don't have relative motion. Uh, cool. Thanks, Dad. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have Neural Coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right, kind of fired up. I've got a big call coming up in a little bit um, on my busy Tuesday. Um, so we're going to dig straight into today's QA. This is a question from Paul. Great question because it kind of builds on this whole concept that we've been talking about in regards to how structure will influence your exercise selection. So if we take the extremes of archetypes, the, the extreme narrow, the extreme wide, um, they, they cannot behave the same way. Their center of gravities are different. Um, they move differently. They will access spaces in a, in a different manner. Um, a narrow will, will be forced to use more external rotation under many circumstances, um, especially in exercises that um, have traditionally been considered essential for everyone. So we talk about like a, a Romanian deadlift, which would fall into that category of, of like a hinging exercise by, by uh, industry jargon. Um, that, that exercise actually demands a great deal of internal rotation, which a narrow ISA, especially when they are biased very strongly in that direction, will not have access to. So it's actually a bad exercise selection under most circumstances because the way that they have to execute that is using some form of compensatory strategies. So that's basically the discussion um, that we go through. I've got another segment, I think, coming up um, with, with something similar um, where we actually have a direct comparison between wide ISA and narrow ISA doing the same activity, and you can actually see the difference, but we'll get to that um, at a later date. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I'll see you tomorrow. Follow the direction of the apex of the sacrum, so the pointy part of the sacrum. What direction is that pointing? Forward and closing the posterior outlet, so I can see how that would. So, so I need the, I need the posterior outlet to to eccentrically orient. Right. What do I capture under that circumstance? If I get a if I get if I get the posterior outlet to eccentrically orient, what what movement do I pick up? Mutation. E R I R. Oh, I R. Right. Remember that's down and back, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So right. if I can't do that, if I can't do that with my, if I can't do that with my sacrum, am I moving back? No. Okay, so down and back, and then, okay, so a wide sort of exists. You ever see a narrow ISA try to do an RDL? Yeah. In the history of mankind, there has never been a narrow ISA that has done an RDL effectively, just so you know. <laughs> like all the way back into like the 1700s. Can't do it. Okay. All right. Let me, let me, uh, joke, by the way. Let me ask you this next one to see if this helps me clarify because I feel like I'm still a little bit off. And uh, this next idea was kind of born out of this. What do you have to be able to do, Paul, to, to do a deadlift? What do you have to be able to do? New tape. Okay. Right. And, and are you going to deadlift on your tippy toes? <laughs> no. No. You're going to deadlift on your heels, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. That's back. Yeah. That's the center of gravity that can move backwards. Okay, so the narrow has a hard time doing that because they're already up it and It can't down. do that, dude. But be, it's because they're already counteracting the down, the torque. They're counteracting the torque. Center of mass is too up. high. Okay. You have, to be able to, you have to be able to lower your center of mass to the ground on your heels to do a deadlift effectively. Like people say they do deadlifts, they don't really do them, but. Okay. So they have to be able to lower their center of mass. Okay. So, so hey boss, can mm -hmm. you stand up so you can feel this maybe? Yes, please. All right. Um, if I recall, you're a narrow ISA. I think so. <laughs> you're a pole vaulter, you're a narrow ISA. There, the, the, I think Sergey Bubka was probably the only wide ISA um uh pole vault i've ever seen he uh, <laughs> yeah he did okay didn't he <laughs> yeah he just had a weird structure um okay so uh do your best imitation of like an rdl okay oh thank you for turning sideways how perfect that was great yeah. solid move solid move okay so just don't think just do this is, this is like quick and dirty boom okay all right so so here's here's the here's the bad news Right, you still have a counternutated sacrum. Okay, so that that was something I would not recommend. But in that position, the, my, my point is is that your center of mass actually went forward for you to load your heels. You have to lighten your your forefoot. Did you feel that? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? No internal rotation. No you didn't have any internal rotation. You were on your heels, but you had to lighten your forefoot to get there. You don't have any internal rotation in that position, oh, dude. That was oh, an no. ER all day, every day. Okay. Good luck doing an RDL. It's not for you. It's not an exercise for you. Because you don't have the pelvic shape, nor do you have the capacity to access that pelvic shape. It's okay. It doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a better pole vaulter. Okay, so you didn't move back. You have to have internal rotation to move back. You don't have it. Not in that position anyway. Your center of mass has to be able to shift down and back to be able to do that. And you can't do it under any circumstance. Hmm. Maybe if you cut your hair, but I don't want you to cut your hair 
because I like the hair. Yeah, I just got a haircut, so. Uh... Seriously, you can't tell. <laughs> Those are the best haircuts when you can't tell. Like, like when one gets a haircut, everybody knows. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna have to uh, mull that Dude, one over. It's a, a it's, 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 this is pure shape. It's pure shape. Okay, bring you it. Cannot, you can't shift your center of mass back on the, on the back of your foot under any circumstance, unless you give up something else, but you're not doing it with relative motion. You're not, you're not using relative movement to capture the IR because you don't have that physical capacity. It does not exist in your world. Um, you can try till the cows come home, till you turn blue in the face or any other, was that a euphemism? Is that a euphemism, a metaphor? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I only got a 500 verbal on the SAT. Some, some kind of figure of speech. Yeah. But uh, it's like, it's just not possible. So, so don't worry about it. But you have to select exercises that allow you to do what you need to do. Right? Okay. Everybody gets to be so, an Olympic weightlifter, right, Manuel? Mm. See? So, Bill, for him to get the, the IR, since he doesn't have that shape change, he'll have to bend his knees or arch through the, through the mid welcome to the Welcome to the discussion, because that's why you choose those activities over something else. So if if we want if we want Paul to access relative motion of hip IR as a narrow ISA, his knee better be bending. Hello, right? Because if he keeps yeah. it straight, if he keeps it straight, he's just going to do the screw home and get it through the knee. Well, I hope not. But but that's that's a pretty that's solid good. that's a pretty solid attempt, right? But 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 now we're talking about low back pain, and we're talking about you know cervical disc problems, and we're talking about bunions and all that stuff. It's like, why do people get bunions? Because they got great movement? No, because they're trying to do something they're physically incapable of doing. That's why that stuff shows up. You get it? And it has before. Sorry, I don't mean to get so passionate about this, but it's it's a, this is a big deal. It's like people people make up these these generic rules of average like i don't work with anybody that's average bill it's <laughs> dwight quick question is that why narrows are they always uh are activating their glutes but clinchers well either that or they're they're hiding their signing bonus you know? <laughs> good morning happy thursday i have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect good morning bill greeting uh i wanted to just flesh out a little bit more the, uh, about that conversation that you had with paul last week in respect to the rdls and the pelvic ah, outlets yeah. situation yeah. cool so yeah um just thinking on it a little bit, and uh, there was a couple of couple of things that, that jumped to front of mind over the course of a week watching people move in the gym and uh -huh. looking at the way that uh, the RDLs executed and thinking that potentially for a narrow, a sumo would be a better prospect for a narrow than a regular RDL if you're looking for something that's going to have less impact on relative motion and i appreciate that obviously as soon as we start loading things we're going to you know we're going to reduce any any form of relative motion but mm -hmm. quite a number of the people that we deal with we're obviously trying to 
kind of get them stronger, but at the same time, you know, treat maybe other restrictions that they might have. And so we have this balancing act between how do we increase strength in posterior chain, say, for instance, without, you know, closing that pelvic outlet even further than what it might otherwise be constrained. And, yeah. and I thought that we don't get as much rearward rearward translation in a sumo as we would in a normal rdl does that sort of make any sense to you in respect to the thought process attached to that um a little bit a little bit the the thing you the thing you want to research okay let's let's clarify a a very important point here okay okay when we're having this discussion we have already compared the entire population of the world two by two and we have found the world's most narrow narrow and the wor world's most wide wide okay okay but that's who we're comparing because if we can understand that then we can better choose activities for normal folk okay so we have to have that clarification all right so because it's easier to see <clears throat> So now we have an idea of what, what the physical structure looks like that we're talking about that will create interference under certain circumstances. So, um, you know, by traditional uh, means, there's certain shapes that need to be acquired in a Romanian deadlift exercise, right? Um, the, our world's greatest narrow will never be able to assume that position. It's not possible. It's not physically possible. You understand that? Yeah. Okay, so no matter how hard we try, right, their their posterior lower representation will be biased towards a concentric. Doesn't mean that they can't move towards an eccentric position, but they'll never achieve the same capability as our world's greatest wide. Yes. So there's a limit. There's a limit to um, how far they can move in that direction, right? And and so an exercise um, to select that would allow them to access the greatest degree of eccentric orientation and the greatest degree of nutation would be a better choice than try to force them into a standardized representation of an exercise because somebody said somewhere that everybody has to be able to do that. So your thought process is, is outstanding, okay? Because what you're doing is you're immediately putting them into a space where they do have access to, to, the, to be able to superimpose the internal rotation in that activity. Yeah, okay. Okay? okay. Because if I, if, I, if I bring them too close together, right? And again, we're talking about world's greatest narrow. If I bring them these feet too close together, that space doesn't exist for them. Okay? Especially in a loaded situation. Yes. Right, because the minute I start adding load, I have just taken away more and more and more space. So, so the orientation of of say a sumo deadlift becomes a better choice. Now, you have a second problem. Okay, their starting position probably not too bad. Then it becomes how far down can they go in that position? Okay, mm -hmm. and 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 so that becomes the big question mark. So you think about where they have where they have internal rotation, okay? So it's away from midline, and then they can they like if these if these are feet, right? Move the feet away from midline, and then push the feet into the ground. There's where they've got some internal rotation. 
okay? As they descend, there will be a point where they can no longer descend, continue to eccentrically orient the posterior outlet. And that's where the movement should stop. And then yeah. that's you as the coach going, that's about as far as you're going to go. Yeah. And so then this might be uh, a rack pull or an elevated position for some people. There will be the exceptional few that might be able to get all the way to the floor. But the standard measure from the floor is the uh, the radius of a, a 20 kilogram plate. And that doesn't fit everyone, yeah. right? I would hazard to guess that um, if if Dale and I go into the gym, um, I'm a little closer to the floor. Hi, Dale, how tall are you? I can't hear you, boss. Six one. Yeah, so so Dale's Dale's a giant, right? And and so so I'm closer to the floor, so I might have a better shot. Like if we if <laughs> if we could turn Dale into a narrow, first of all, miracles on miracles. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> we we would. You remember the press at the end of the Terminator, Dale? Yeah. Yeah, we got to keep in that press, and and then we probably, probably still break it. Um, but point being is, we still have to we still have to consider the excursion that that they would have available to access this space. So your thought process is great because you're you're buying room, okay? But you but that doesn't immediately mean that we can take somebody to the floor. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you can't yeah. lift them in a in a limited range. It just means that you have like again, this is where you this is where you become the good coach and you say this is a better choice of exercise for you. Now, so now you start thinking it's like, well, where can I where am I going to do these? Where, where can I put this person in space? Where's their internal rotation? Where do they have it? Well, it's away from midline. Yes, but it's also somewhere else. There's two right. places. There's two places where where I where I, their greatest access to internal rotation is going to be in two places. Well, they're gonna they're they're gonna have more uh, chance of getting better internal rotation going straight down than they will straight go down. There you go. Yeah. You have now you have now um, uh, limited the the number of exercises available, but you're also going to be a lot more accurate. So I guess the, the straight down's a big then, deal. Straight down's a big deal for narrows. Well, see, so the difficulty then becomes is that, that like, say, for instance, it, it, depending on the way in which they execute, for example, a squat, a narrow is obviously going to be biased to achieving a uh, a more vertical squat position than than a wide would be because they're supposed to, right? They're supposed to, yeah. But the, yes. the question is then is is if we're, if we're looking at it from a say a strength development perspective or a muscular development perspective, as we start to get more in line with a straight straight down squat, we're probably gonna end up more um, quad, quad based squat as opposed to into the posterior chain side of things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Matt, you're killing me. I, I, oh, was, come on. I was doing so well and now I'm all sick to my stomach. Um, okay. Um, you 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 said you said a few words in there. You mentioned oh, sorry. no no no. You you mentioned strength and you mentioned muscular development. Okay. Okay. <laughs> here's one of the here's one of the really cool things about hypertrophy. You don't need relative motion to develop hypertrophy. No, you don't. 
spot. But, yeah. but if you want to keep them healthy, yes, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Here's the, if you want to be able to move well, if you want, and, yeah. and be comfortable and be happy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, but 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 see this this is this is one of the distinguishing characteristics of 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 the 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 bodybuilding side of, of of training is that is that the exposure that that the the muscle experiences during the activities okay um, has a very low degree of of relative motion available because the excursion has to take place within the muscle tissue itself. Otherwise, it doesn't get exposed to the tension. Yeah. So remember, relative motion feels good. There's not tension in it, right? And tension is one of the primary signaling elements of hypertrophy. Yes. Yeah. I do, you get see, do you see, do you see the dilemma? Yeah, I know, I know it. I know okay. it every day. That's the right. The, the, and so, so this is why, like, like when you look at the most extreme representations of muscular development, this is why they don't move well. Because they are programmed to not move well, because they're the type of training that they do is to actually reduce the amount of relative motion. So the muscle tissue is what becomes the relative motion, if you will. Yeah. Like I said, otherwise there's no tension on it. And if there's no tension on it, you don't develop big, strong muscles. That's the conflict, right? Yes. Like again, it would be, it's a rare occasion. It's, it's not impossible. It's a rare occasion though, that you would get like a super heavyweight powerlifter that moves well. Good morning, happy Friday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect as usual. All right. For those of you on the two-week sprint, this Friday and this weekend is your rest and recovery weekend. Make sure you are on track and making progress on all of your intended activities. Okay, digging into today's Q&A. This is with Jordan. Um, Jordan's on The Good Humans list. He's, a, he's a, a PT student wrapping up his physical therapy education. He's in his last semester. Congratulations, Jordan. Finish strong. Um, but he had a question in regards to hand and wrist orientation. I think Jordan's going to be working with some, some baseball players and especially with throwers, hand and wrist position tends to be a big deal. Elbows tend to be a big deal. Um, one of the things you want to start to recognize about issues with, with the elbow is we need to understand where we are proximally. We need to understand where we are distally. So if you prefer an old school, um, regional interdependence, structural reductionist type of model, um, this would become useful for you to, to have this information in regards to the wrist and hand orientation and proximal orientation to determine your elbow strategies. So uh, this will hopefully be a good, a good Q&A for you and a good question for you to be able to answer in your own way. But this is why we talk about the pistol test in this, in this Q&A, because it's gonna help us determine what's going on distally at the wrist so we can understand what's going on proximally at the elbow. Thank you, Jordan, for asking your question and welcome back to the Coffee and Coaches conference call. Uh, podcast will be up on Friday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube page and subscribe there as well. Um, get on the mentorship list where I'm sending out um, some more email newsletters and such to, to that mentorship list. So uh, make sure you pay attention to that as well. Have an outstanding Friday, a great weekend. I'll see you next week.
But um, my question is because um, actually with, in regards to baseball, kind of like Kelly's question, because uh-huh. I think I'm my next clinical is with a lot of baseball pitchers and elbow and yep. hand are not as easy for me to understand. Uh-huh. Can you just go over the um, what you're testing or looking for for the L? Um, pistol. Pist- yes, thank you. Can you just review that for me? That is external rotation of your hand. Okay. Okay. So I, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use PT school terminology just for you. As, as I, I'll I'll probably get some horrible disease from it, but I will I will express it to the best of my capability. Sorry I caused it. It's all right. It's all right. I'm I'm here to help. I can speak multiple languages. So that's that's the thing. Okay. So what's that motion called in school? Radial deviation. Awesome. Okay. So if, if, if I pronate the forearm, okay. Um, what, what is the difference? So if I'm here versus here, what's the difference in the forearm from a bony perspective? The radius crosses over. Okay. All right. So in parallel, can you appreciate the fact that we're just going to say that the ulna and the radius are now parallel? and they're equal. They're not, but let's just say that they are. Yeah. Okay. If I pronate, that means that the radius is now on a diagonal. Can you appreciate the fact that the radius is now shorter relative to the position of the wrist? So because it has to cover, it's, it's, it's on a diagonal now. So, so if it was here, as it turns on the diagonal, it has to do this, right? It's turning on a helix basically is what it is. So it's gonna fall back, right? Okay, so then my resting position on my hand is that. Okay. Got it. Which means that the ulna now looks longer than the radius. Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if I, um, uh, have a uh, radius that twists farther into internal rotation. So that means that this is more ERD, this is more IRD. Okay, I have already, I have already positioned my hand here. Okay, and then I, that means I can't radially deviate, which means I can't make a pistol. So they do this. Okay. Okay. So what this test is is a position is a test for the position of the distal radius, and then that tells you what the proximal radius is doing. So for this to have more internal rotation in it, the only way that I can do that is to make this more erd. Okay. Okay. The forearm is going to look short. Okay, because it is technically speaking, it's short. If I twist the radius, it's like a, like when you twist a towel, the two ends of the towel get closer together, right? So if I twist the radius, the radius actually gets shorter, okay? But I can't open my thumb up into ER because radial deviation is, a, is, is it's actually a turn um, of the hand into ER. So I can't, I can't do this without compensating. So you see, if you supinate your hand as hard as you can, Look at look at your look at you see your pistol? You see the pistol show up? See? Mm-hmm. So you got a twisted radius. Can you appreciate that? Yeah. Like look at your thumb, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Try to open it up. Yeah, see how hard that is? Right. You had to move your hand. You had to open up your fingers 
you literally had to open up your fingers to move your thumb into the position. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got a little twist in your in your radius because you work out, right? Yeah. I like to think I, I try to. <laughs> yeah. Well, you 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 still got to work out next, so you can see it. <laughs> no, but my my point is is like so so the pistol test is a test for the for the shape of the um the radius. Okay. Okay. And then if so, like if. So like to speak another language when I'm talking with like um, others in terms of like orientation at the elbow, if I'm doing like manual work and I'm thinking like, oh, I'm trying to capture for us like ER at that elbow. What well, um, you want ER at the elbow. So, so if, if I've got a positive pistol test, that means that the radius is ER more than you would like it to be. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. I think okay. Thank you. I that's I just need oh, to I just need to re-understand that. I think. You, well, just see the if you understand the representations in the foot, it's this it's it's going to be the similar representation in the hand. Okay. And then a, a quick follow up. Then mm-hmm. would kind of regards to like Alex's question, whether it be the positioning of the hand or the elbow versus the shoulder. Uh-huh. Um. Maybe I, I don't know, want to say specific to pitchers, but like for like the upper extremity athletes, do you feel that probably just for the buy-in case, like you're probably wanting to start more distally just because I feel like a lot of those symptoms are there or should I really be? On. Sometimes you got to treat symptom to, to get the buy-in. Okay. Okay. I have no problem with that. But understand that you're, if you're out of sequence, it won't, it won't stick. Maybe you get lucky and it does. I mean, that, that happens too. Okay. You can accidentally do the right thing. That's cool. Um, you get to take credit for that. It's a, Hey, you ever play, uh, ever play pool, shoot pool? Do you ever make a suck shot? You know, where you, where you accidentally make an amazing shot and it goes in all the time because that's the only shots I make. Okay. But point is you take credit for it, right? (laughs) Okay. So sometimes when you're treating somebody, you make a suck shot. Okay. That's Take credit okay. for it. Take credit for it. And then try to figure <laughs> out what you just did. All right. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like, like, I, I don't want you to think that that's, that's the best course of action to take, but in certain circumstances, especially under a time constraint, right? So I uh, had a soccer player come in yesterday and it's like, oh, uh, game on Saturday and I don't get to see you again. Like, this is it. This is a one and done. And it's just like, okay, I got to come up with a sequence of events that it would, I would typically probably not give somebody because I know that he's not going to get the treatment that he needs. And so I got I to gotta go way off the beaten path and say, okay, I'm literally going to put you in a position where I'm twisting you. Like I'm intentionally creating a bony adaptation to put you in a position to allow you to be successful with something else. If I had time and process, I wouldn't have to do that. So, so you're correct. It's like sometimes you got to go right after it, and then if you can alleviate a symptom, that gets you buy-in. Then it's a matter of like, okay, now here's what I really want you to do. It's like if you un- you got somebody comes in with knee pain, you untwist a knee, like do that first. Like you would never do that first, right? But you do it first, and they go, oh, that's so much better. You go, cool. Let's do these exercises now. Do the same thing with an elbow or a hand or a wrist. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Okay. 
But, but if you want, if you want, you know, the um, end result, the ideal end result, you got to look at this from a much broader perspective. Because what ends up, you don't want to be the guy that just treats symptoms. Yeah. Because there's a lot of those. Right. And then you start chasing a whole bunch of stuff and you have no idea what, what you're doing process was. Okay. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. As always, thank you. You're welcome. Sir. All right. It's been, been a while. Yeah. That's all right. I know you're out there somewhere, man. <laughs>